course, it's September. It's kind of the beginning of the school year, and things kind of get back into full um, gear of the things that we're doing in church. And we sometimes take a little bit of break from some of the life groups over the summer, and we announce that we have a new life group, if you weren't aware of that, and you want more information about that. It's called the Open Door Class, and, and we can get you information. Paul Hutchson is leading that group with Pastor Andy. But um, there's another announcement that I wanted to make to you just to make you aware of it, and that is concerning the Extreme Middle School Ministry. Woo! That was your cue. All right, thanks. I know it was kind of, I, I didn't lead you good. Okay. And the church, I want you to know that we have also made a change in leadership there and where Steve and Aaron Rothel had been leading that ministry for about three years, done a great job. Um, they decided that they would go ahead and move on up and assist in the 180 ministry now. So they're helping Craig and Katie Warner in 180 as well. They kind of grew to love those kids so much for those years. They just decided to move on up with them. And we have Kale and Brooke Horvath. Kale, why you, Brooke, why don't you just stand up? They're leading the extreme ministry now. You gave us a little woo there, guys. That was all right, man. That was awesome. Good for you. So anyways, uh, if you know Kalen Brook or if you don't know Kalen Brook, maybe before the day's over, you just grab him, give him a hug, and just say congratulations. And uh, it is a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's a serious responsibility. And so they're going to take the baton and just run with it with this very, very important group of young people that we have here as well. Well, this morning, listen, I, I, we're going to do something a little bit different. And uh, we're just going to jump right into our message. So you got your Bibles? Get them out. Let's go. We're going to get right into it. Say, I haven't hugged anybody or shook their hands yet. Yeah, I know. It's all right. Just come on in here and let's get started. Um, as you're getting your Bibles out, I just want to help you to think about a couple of things, okay? And uh, maybe just listen. I'm going to read some scripture for you, and, and I just want you, as you're kind of getting ready, I know it's kind of a sneak attack, okay? Uh, as you're getting ready, I want you to just be thinking about these things. I want you to think about all that God's done for us. I want you to think about and just recall in your mind how God created all of the beauty that is life. I want you to just think about how God the creator also sustains life every second of every day. I want you to consider the fact that God's being is the very fabric into which all of life is woven. And that if it were not for God himself, life itself would just cease. It would just dissolve. We wouldn't be able to take our next breath. Of all the things God created, without question, God made it very clear that he made man to be the crown of his creation. He, he created us originally, Adam and Eve, perfectly, the image of God himself in mankind. Very unique, very special. He provides every need that we have. He, he makes sure that we have the very most basic elements of life provided for us to the most elaborate and detailed at times. God is good. God gives us all of these things. And yet, man after enjoying all of these benefits, willingly chooses to sin. Man has rejected God as, as a whole and has said no thank you to him. And our selfishness, therefore, the Bible makes very clear, has separated us and distanced ourselves from God. 
And it should come up on the screen, but maybe even just shut your eyes. I just want you to listen to the words of God. I'm going to read in Ephesians chapter 2 as it kind of tells our story. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The next two words may be two of the greatest words in all of Scripture. But God, he steps in. But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And God made it so clear that while we were in this desperate state, he stepped in. Everybody just about knows John 3.16, God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Psalms chapter 40, I love the way it's written in Psalms chapter 40, first couple of verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us, says, don't you realize that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? It's God's goodness that so envelops us that ultimately we who have made that choice and all of you, if you have not yet, can still make that choice to surrender to him. And as a result, in response to God's goodness to us, we give thanks. We surrender. The Bible says we die to ourselves. We allow him to be our Lord, our master, our boss, our director. And we put away our own selfish desires and we follow him rather than following the world. And we tell others about it. We promote this good news so that other people can get in on it and they can enjoy this great blessing of eternal life. Well, the series, like Rich alluded to, is pillars and we have the visual up here for you. And what we're talking about this month of September are four key elements that will serve as pillars in your life. They will provide support for your life. They will give guidance in your life. They will keep the storms of life from crashing down upon you. And these pillars are, are simple biblical principles. They are elements that if incorporated into our life will give us strength. They will give us standing. They're very important. Ultimately, they lead us to a much closer personal interaction with God himself. And last week, we talked about prayer. 
And as we talked about prayer, we kind of referenced it as just a simple conversation with God. We went to 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where it very simply says pray without ceasing. We all learned to memorize a verse last week. Pray without ceasing. And so we talked about the importance of just a constant, continual conversation with God day and night, moment by moment, every day of our lives. And today the second pillar in our series is all about worship. And worship we're going to refer to as a spiritual connection with God. I want you today to open up your hearts and your minds and to consider what God wants to teach us about this pillar that should stand strong in our lives, this element of worship. So let's just pray. Let's get our hearts clear before him and we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, as we do this, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, first of all, just be honored and glorified in our midst. God, thank you. And the words are not enough. I I recognize every time I say them, they're not enough, but yet it is good to give thanks unto the Lord. And Lord, we thank you because at the end of the day, you have done it all and we have done nothing except be the recipients of your goodness and we are so eternally grateful for all that you've done. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that each and every one of us would just, in the quietness of our heart, lay aside any sin, any weight, any bad attitude. Maybe we're just predisposed to be thinking about the cares of this world. Lord Jesus, help us to just set those things aside for just a moment and just to focus on you. And in our mind's eye, Lord, in our heart to understand just a little bit better today who you really are and how you desire to truly and genuinely connect with us on a spiritual level. Teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we're going to do is define what worship is. And so that's your, that's your first point, worship defined. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to study a little bit about worship from Genesis chapter 22. So please take your Bibles and open there. You know, over the years, I've learned that there is a lot of misunderstanding about what worship really is. Uh, People use the word worship and and they just think it means showing up at the church house and singing together. And we're going to talk about all that before we're done today, okay? But, But I want us to really get down to the essence of what worship is really all about. And in order to be able to best understand how God intends worship to be and how can we define what that thing really is, what we're going to do is we're going to bring into practice a rule of Bible study. And many of you already know some of these things. You've sat through classes that we've offered on understanding how to study the Bible for yourself, and maybe you haven't. But let me give you a little snapshot. One of the rules of better understanding how God put things together for us to understand is called the rule of first mention, okay? The law of first mention. And so the idea is is that when God reveals his truth, And as he begins to unfold his communication to us, which he uses words, we communicate with words, he communicates to us with words, that the first time he mentions a subject in the scripture, you will find that he sets the standard for how he will define and therefore use that subject throughout all the scripture. So as we want to understand the Bible better, what we have to learn to do 
as we have to go back, and, and today with technology, it's super easy. You get a computer program, you can do it for free on the search uh, programs on the internet and that sort of thing, and find the first time in the Bible that a particular word or phrase is ever mentioned, understand the context in which it is given, and therefore draw the understanding of what that means as God intends it throughout the rest of his revelation. And what we're doing is we're going to the first time in the Bible that God ever uses the word worship. And it's in Genesis chapter 22. It won't be surprising to you that many of the firsts appear in Genesis. Obviously, it's full of words, and many of them are used for the very first time. Certainly, God, the great creator, architect of life, put them in that order on purpose. So Genesis chapter 22, let's read together the first five verses. It's a story that will be very familiar to most of you. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and, here it is, worship and come again to you. So the story, you get the story, Abraham is told by God, here's a mountain. We understand it's Mount Moriah. He's going to go up on this mountain, and he is told by God, offer a burnt offering. It's interesting because the offerings actually aren't described for us until later in the book of Leviticus, but at the end of the day, uh, 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 the scriptures make it very clear that this idea of a burnt offering represents for us a total consecration or total and complete devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God. Why? Because a burnt offering is to be entirely and completely consumed on the altar so that there is nothing left over. And God tells Abraham, you are to go up on this mountain and you are going to give me an offering. And the offering that you are going to give me is an offering of total consecration. Now this time, Abraham had to do it, and the subject of the offering was his only son, Isaac, which, by the way, if you're familiar with the story, for many, many years, Abraham was not able to have a son. And in their old age, Abraham and Sarah finally have this boy, Isaac. And God says, it was a miracle birth, by the way, and God says, give him back to me. Give him back to me. Before we get into a lot more detail about that, I want you to also understand that not only is worship mentioned for the first time in the scripture in this passage, but also the word love or a form thereof is mentioned as well in verse number two. And the the way that love is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it is mentioned in the context of the love of a father for his only son. And so what we draw from that is very clearly, among many other things, very clearly, this is a wonderful picture for us then of God the Father and his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the unbelievable love that God the Father has for his 
only son. Another word that appears for the very first time in this passage, it's actually a little bit further down, it is the word obey. It appears in verse number 18, and basically God blesses Abraham for his obedience. Now, I want you to just kind of keep all that in mind. We're just getting into this study of defining what worship is, okay? And so Abraham, obviously, uh, he did great. He ultimately does exactly what he's supposed to do. We're going to keep reading here in just a second. Uh, but what I want you to see, again, in your notes, I wrote it this way. Exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. Because although the word faith is not in this passage, without a doubt, it is referred to many other times and other places in the Scripture in the context of this passage. Great faith is demonstrated in the midst of this story. Uh, He says in verse number five to the two uh, young men that were with him, hey, you guys stay here and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And then it says, and come again unto you. Wait a minute, you are going to sacrifice your son. Abraham knew that. Isaac did not know that at this time. Abraham knew that. But he had faith knowing that if God actually has me go through with this, God has to resurrect him and give him back to me. So how did he know that? Well, just prior to this, okay, God would have told Abraham very clearly that this is the son of the promise. This is the lineage. This is the son through whom I will bless all the nations through whom I will make your seed as the sand of the sea, as the stars of the sky, as the dust of the earth. It's going to come through Isaac, not Ishmael. And so he already had that promise that God would do it through Isaac if indeed Isaac died physically at this moment. God would have to raise him up. And he knew it ahead of time. He had great faith. And he told the two young men, and he said, look, we're going to go, we're going to worship, and we're going to come back. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, it's that great chapter that describes people of faith throughout the Old Testament. And when it gets to the story of Abraham, it says in Hebrews eleven seventeen, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises, again, referring back to Genesis 21, where he gave him that promise, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Notice, accounting beforehand that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. Wow, what an amazing story this is. I mean, we know the story, many of us, if not all of us, of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac and ultimately last minute God stops his hand. We'll get there. But what is really going on in this picture? What is God communicating to us that's so much bigger than just this man and this real event thousands of years ago? Well, it's a picture of God the Father offering his son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, for us, yes. But in the context of this, we are defining God's law of first mention as much as it has to do with this issue of worship because worship shows up for the first time right here. So what exactly is God communicating to us concerning worship in this passage? Well, first of all, worship occurs when we offer something to God. When we offer something to God. But it's more than just that. Because 
It's when we offer something to God that costs us something. It's not just whatever you got spare change laying around. It's you offer something to God that costs you something. In fact, you offer to something to God that you dearly love. Something that you desperately want to keep. Something that you could not imagine living without. And you offer it to God. You know what? In order to part with something like that, here's the key word. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. So worship exists whenever faith and works are in perfect harmony. And that's what we see in the life of Abraham. Worship exists whenever faith and works are in perfect harmony. James chapter 2, same context, New Testament, referring back to these series of events. James chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? There we have the context. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 22. We're still studying. We're going to jump back in at verse number 6 and we're going to keep reading to verse 13. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And so, as we see how worship exists when faith and works are together in perfect harmony. And, and we look at the continuance of this story and Abraham believed that God would give back, in fact, indeed, all God wanted to see was that Abraham, and the key word comes in, or words come in verse number 12, seeing that you have not withheld from me, and then fill in the blank. In this case, it's your only son. So worship is going to have something associated with it where God wants to see true worship occurs when we willingly offer things to God that are dear to us that we don't 
withhold anything from him. Can you see that? That, my friends, is a tangible expression of our faith in him and our love for him. So we step back and we try and understand life as we experience it. And one thing you've got to understand in our life with a sovereign God that rules the universe and our lives is that all of life is a test. All of life is a test. If you get that, it will help you. Now, if we went back, and and just a short Bible study for those of you that maybe can track with this quickly, it says in Genesis 22.1, it says God did tempt Abraham. And maybe some of you are familiar enough with the scriptures that you're reminded of James 1.13, where basically it says that God doesn't tempt any man. And you're like, he just tempted Abraham. What do you mean he didn't tempt any man? Well, we read previously in Hebrews 11, in verse number 17, it says when Abraham was tried by God. In other words, the real meaning of the word to tempt in the, in the specific context of God and Abraham in Genesis 22 is really, it's just a trial. It's just a test. It's just a test. It's not like you're enticed to sin. God would never do that to man, but that's not what he's doing to Abraham. He's not enticing him to sin. He just put him under a test. And here's what we need to understand about all that. God will, l- listen, y'all got to get this. God will ask you to give him things that you really, really want to keep. It's a test. It's a test. Why would God do that? Just to ruin my happiness? Of course not. He just wants to know if you will withhold that from him or not. You see, it so pleased God to see that Abraham would not withhold the thing, the one. Can you imagine anything more dear to Abraham than his son? After all that he had been through, and now he's, he's well over 100 years old, and this one boy is the future of God's blessings on the world. Can you imagine? He just wants to know if you'll withhold anything from him. You see, it's a test of your love. Because God knows, just as we've learned in our short lives, that talk is cheap. It's easy to say we love God, isn't it? And, and I don't doubt that there's a person in this room, everybody would say we love God. Why? You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But God's going to test it, and he's going to put it to you in such a way that he's going to ask you for things. You're like, well, I worked really hard for that. Okay, okay. <laughs> Figure it out any way you want to. Just know that all of life is a test, and God's going to ask. Well, what's he going to ask for? Well, the things that he's going to ask for, I have them in your notes as well, and they're basically going to come in three categories. It's going to come in the categories of your time. It's going to come in the category of your talents. It's going to come in the category of your treasures. So you consider the issue of your time, and you have to ask yourself, okay, everybody has the exact same amount of time available to them on this earth every single day, 24 hours a day. Nobody has more. Nobody has less. If you don't use what you got, you lose it. You start over the next day. And of the time that is granted to me every single day, how much of it am I hoarding for myself and my particular selfish personal desires, activities? All of us have to sleep some. All of us have to eat some. All of us have to work some. But after that, we've all got all kind of other things that are available to us. How are we choosing to schedule our time? Are we willing to give up of 
well, the term is even a little unusual, our time, right? In order to serve the Lord, in order simply to offer it to him as a sign of total consecration. How much of that are we willing to do? That's a good question. How about your talents? Listen, each and every one of you represent a world of talents and skills. It's a accumulation of your education, experience, upbringing, history, desires, interests. And each of you have unique skill sets, physical skills, intellectual skills, all kind of different skills. And God just wants to know, are you just going to use that to enjoy life yourself? Are you ever going to take any of those things and invest them in such a way that you'll actually serve me. Your talents. What about your treasures? Will you really, willingly, and truly just offer to God of the financial resources, the physical resources that God has allowed you to be the steward of for a period of time so that you can further his kingdom? Not forgetting the principle of Deuteronomy 8 and verse number 18 that says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto the fathers, as it is this day. A little bit later in our service, we will have a time where we rejoice and sing to the Lord. We will have a time of receiving offerings, and and you can put your comment card in the plate at that time and and such. But when that time comes, do you willingly and joyfully as an act of worship offer to God of your treasures as well as your time and your talents? That's just a test. You don't have to. God just wants to know. Or will you just withhold that from him. Uh, there are many examples that we could have pulled out, but because of this summer that we've just went through, I thought that a good example would be just to point out some of the mission trips that we've recently taken. And so we had a large number of our people that went to Mongolia, and we recently heard about that, and, and many, if not all of them, have very specific skill sets. Many of them are skilled construction workers and have different skills in, in the areas that they serve and that they do, whether it's their job as a profession or otherwise. Uh, we have some very talented men and women who gave of their time. They took time off work. They, they gave of their talents. They used their construction, uh, repair, whatever the case might be, skills that they have in order to serve the Lord and certainly their treasures. Because let me just tell you, a round-trip plane ticket to Mongolia ain't free. And they gave of all of those things. Why? Just to further God's kingdom. That's worship. Uh, No different for the Peru team that just went with the medical missions and some of those were medical professionals. Some of those were not. It doesn't matter. The skill set that each possessed, they offered to God, again, the time, the talents, and the treasures. That's what they did. You don't have to go on a foreign mission trip in order to do this. Wherever you are at, wherever you live, and whatever your circumstances are, you can offer to God of your time. You offer to God of your talents. You offer to God of your treasures. You give him things that you really, really love. You give him things that you really have dear to you, things you really want to keep. That's important. That's what he wants. So I want you to notice. Once Abraham proved to God that he would not withhold anything. He proved it by being willing to take Isaac. He went up the hill. He had the wood. He laid him. He tied up his son. 
I can only imagine that Isaac was young and strong. Abraham is not young and probably not strong. Isaac was willing to go with the deal. I don't understand how it all played out. All I know is that Abraham got to the point where he picked up the knife and the angel of the Lord said, that's enough, stop. I really didn't want you to kill him. I just wanted you to be willing to give me everything. That's all I wanted to do. And so God asked for his son. Abraham said, if that's what you want, Lord, I believe that you'll give him back. God actually never took him. Did you hear that? He actually never took him. In other words, if you really give everything to God, spoiler alert, he'll give it back. But I gotta clarify to you because God is God and we are not. You say, whew, well that's good to know. I get it back. If you give it with the mindset, I can't wait to get it back. You didn't really give it. You loaned it. And God doesn't want you to loan to him. He wants you to give to him. Such as though you would never get it back. And let him do what he will. And what you'll find is that he will. <laughs> That's what you'll find. You cannot outgive God. So I wrote a sentence and I put it in your notes because I wanted you just to have it with you and you can meditate over it later. What is worship? Worship occurs. We're defining worship. Worship occurs anytime we willingly offer to God something that we love, something that we want to keep, but we offer it because we love God more and believe that he will be pleased with our offering. It is an act of obedience and sacrifice. That's what worship is. Now, now that we've defined it, now we're gonna see it demonstrated. That's our second point. Worship demonstrated, and for this, we're going to go to John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, we'll look in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we're just going to look at a couple of verses. And this is the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. We're not going to study the whole passage. We're just going to look at a couple of verses that he pulls out in the middle because it defines for us what we're talking about. Verses 23 and 24. The discussion shifts to worship with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus says, But the hour cometh and now is you gotta, you got to notice the words that he uses where the true worshipers, if there's true, there must be false, where the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him should, no, must Worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do we worship? Well, we defined what it really is. How are we going to pull it off now? Well, first off, can we just agree that however we pull it off, it should be in accordance with the way he desires, not necessarily the way we desire? Can we agree to that? Uh, uh, he he kind of sets the standard. And he says if we don't worship him, and these are the two Um, conditional things that we've got to fulfill in spirit and in truth. We'll talk about that. We're really not true worshipers. The opposite of a true worshiper, you get it. If you're going to really be a true worshiper, you must worship in spirit and 
in tr- not spirit or, spirit and in truth. So let's talk about in spirit. I defined it for you this way. In spirit is led by the Holy Spirit, certainly, acting through our human spirit. I want to add that. I want you to understand that it is the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, indeed, but it's about me worshiping him. And so the Holy Spirit of God must work through me and therefore my spirit to ultimately worship him. What are you talking about? Well, we read Ephesians chapter 2, the very first verse. It says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, I was alive. I just wasn't alive spiritually. My spirit theologically My spirit is dead prior to receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. A human being born into this world, cute little baby, grows up to be, uh, you know, teenagers and all that. And eventually, I mean, you know, they have a body and they have a soul, but until you receive Jesus Christ, your spirit is dead. But after you receive Jesus Christ, your dead spirit comes to life. Therefore, the Bible uses this term, born again. It is a new birth of the spiritual aspect of your life as the Holy Spirit of God comes down and indwells. Now you're newly alive. The word quickened is the old English word for made alive. Your previously dead human spirit. Okay, we're good? We're on the same page? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 talks about all three of those elements. He's talking to the church. They are Christian people. That you would have a body and a soul and a spirit, and only a saved human being is fully complete. An unsaved human being has one part missing. The spirit is dead. And so all of your unsaved friends and relatives, they are not yet complete. That's why they need Jesus Christ. There is this vacuum in their life, something that needs to be fulfilled, and only Jesus can do that. And so the body is the part of your existence, okay? It's just kind of the earth suit that you wear while you're here, okay, if you can think of it that way. The body is the part that interacts with the physical world and your five senses, okay? Your soul is the non-physical real you that's living on the inside of your body looking out at me through your eyeballs. There's a real you living inside the body. One day the body will be gone but you're going to keep living, right? And that's your soul. We typically define that as your mind, your will, your emotions. It's the non-physical part of you. It is your interaction with the emotional and intellectual world that is around us. But your spirit, your spirit is not your soul. Your soul is not your spirit. Your spirit is the only possible way for you to interact with God. You've got to get that. Your spirit is the thing that interacts with God. So when God says, you're going to worship me in spirit, well, first off, an unsaved person cannot. They don't have a living spirit. The Holy Spirit does not live in them. So only Christians qualify. Okay, so if you are one, congratulations, you qualify. However, we do not always allow God's spirit <laughs> to work through our spirit. Is that not right? Sometimes we quench the spirit by living in the power of the flesh. And so if that's the case, it is impossible for us to worship if we are carnal, fleshly Christians. We must worship in spirit. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. It's a spiritual connection. That's what worship really is. 
In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 3, it says, For we are the circumcision. You could almost even just insert the word for clarification. I'm not trying to add to the Bible. We are the true circumcision. In other words, the context is very clear. We are the circumcision, and here's the characteristics. We worship God in the Spirit, right? Rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. So the true circumcision, the truly saved people, the people who truly have this connection with God are people who worship in the Spirit. That's who we are. Now, people who can't do that probably aren't truly among this category called the circumcision. That's just a, another word that, that God uses to illustrate this new birth in Christ, okay? It's, a, it's another uh, illustration in a way he uses that, but that's, that's the context. So in spirit, the Holy Spirit of God working through our human spirit and also in truth. So in truth would be according to the truth of God's word, right? John 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth so it's according to the truth of God's word as it is applied to our lives again we have to have kind of a dual application Psalm 96 verse 9 I love Psalm 96 verse 9 oh worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness whose holiness the Lord's or mine cast your votes (laughs) I say both. It's a dual application. Why? Well, of course we worship God in his holiness in the sense he is who he is and that's why we worship him. But just think logically with me for just a second. Does it really need to be said? If it's only applying to God's holiness and has nothing to do with our lives, does it really need to be said? It's a command. Worship the Lord in the context, okay, in the beauty of holiness. Does it not kind of make sense that that would mean live a holy life and worship the Lord? And you know what that becomes? A beautiful thing. So we have the truth of God's word, the holy righteous standard being applied to our lives and our lives are sanctified and clean and holy and we worship him. And it's beautiful. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness as you recognize it in the beauty of your holiness because you're responding to him in your life in spirit. In this idea of this dual application, you're thinking, I don't know, man. Well, let me just help you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. See how God wants that to play out? Understand who he is, and it ought to affect how you live. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. I love this. Pay attention. Follow peace with all men and holiness, notice, without which no man shall see the Lord. You want to get a glimpse of God? You want to take some time when we just cry out to him and and worship and praise and have a spiritual connection to him, you want to try and do that with a dirty life? You'll never see him. You'll never see him. What fellowship can Christ have with Belial, the scripture says, the devil? What, what, What fellowship is holiness with uncleanness? 
No, 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 no. Holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. So like Abraham, when we're obedient to God's word, when we sacrifice to serve him, right, and we offer to him the things that we love the most, we have a unique fellowship with Jesus Christ. We're spiritually connected. Philippians 3 and verse 10 talks about, Paul says, man, I just want to know God and I want to know the power of his resurrection and that's awesome. And we don't often enjoy this third one, but it says the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You want to have fellowship with Jesus? Well, then you're going to have to have some things in common with him. What did Jesus do? Well, he suffered for you. You want to have something in common with Jesus? I know this isn't the kind of message you're just like, man, I can't wait to suffer. (laughs) But each of you know, if you have ever in your life, and I know many of you have done this for sure, you have sacrificed things that you love just for the Lord. No other reason whatsoever. And when you have done that, you know in your heart there was a special connection. You know that there was something that just drew you closer to Jesus than you've ever been before in your whole life. Somebody could say amen here. This is true. You're never more like the Lord Jesus Christ than when you give away the things that you could keep for him. For him. That's the fellowship. That's the connection. That's worshiping him not only in spirit but in truth. The truth of your life reflects the truth that is the Christ. So let me ask you something. If your life is not this living representation of the truth, how can you worship? If Christianity to you is just your religion and really you're just more concerned with what you get, what others have to do for you to make you happy, how can you worship? You can't. So how we worship, we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. That crosses the boundaries of a lot of different modalities, a lot of different methodologies, okay? But because we're in church and because very frequently we connect it with music and with song, we're going to talk about that a little bit, okay? Let's talk about that. Because yes, it is much greater than just singing songs. But you know what? Singing to the Lord is indeed a very real way just to express your love to him. In fact, God throughout the scripture says, please do that. Sing unto me praises. He loves that. He wants that. He desires that. There's everything right with that. I'm no musician. I I played a little guitar in my basement when nobody's listening. I'm not good. But I like music. I love music. And most of you like music. If you don't like music of any kind... I don't know, there's something wrong. Go to the doctor. (laughs) Music is an art form. There's something about music, isn't there, that just connects with your soul, man. There's something about music that hits you at a deep level. There's something about music that just gets you connected to this form of art that just moves you with emotion. And so God says, let's just leverage that. Why don't you do that for me why don't you do that for me so among the ways he says do that singing music is is an expression of happiness of 
joy. And God desires it. He desires it. I, I like to use the illustration of a, of a wind instrument. There's a lot of instruments God enjoys to hear from, but, but the, this helps me, okay? I, I think of a wind instrument, a trumpet, a flute, or something like that. And this act of worship is as though we are the instrument. In of ourselves, a lifeless piece of metal or wood or whatever it might be. And, and God picks it up and blows through it. In the scripture, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit is likened unto wind, air, breath. It's the same exact word translated wind, air, breath, spirit, all through the scripture. He's like the wind. He's like the breath of God. And he blows through us, the very instrument that he created, to make beautiful sounds that then return back to him and make him very happy. So I am nothing but an instrument. I got nothing. But I open myself up to allow the Spirit of God to blow through me. And he makes beautiful music that pleases him. That's worship. That's worship. And when you worship, if you think of yourself in this way, it may help you to just allow God's Spirit to use you to become a beautiful expression of what he desires. So what about music preference? We're going to talk about music preference. My only question that I want everybody to consider is, whose preference should it be? Mine? Yours? The eight or nine people that will stand up here in a little bit? How about God's? Okay. What is God like? He likes everything. Well, he can like everything if it's served up in spirit and in truth, right? So again, where do we find out if it's going to be done in truth? Well, the only source of truth we have, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word, is truth. Why don't we just take a look? So you know what? There's going to be a bunch of verses that are going to pop up on the screen. I'm just going to read through some stuff. I just want you to see some of the things that God says about what he likes. Keeping in mind, it's not about us, y'all. It is not about us. You don't want to write down anything else. You don't want to take notes in a message. Cross everything else out that's handed to you and write in real big letters, it is not about me. We got to get that. It's about him. If it's worship, it's about him. Otherwise, it's singing. But if it's worship, it's about him. And the Bible will tell us how God prefers it. The first thing that I want you to see is, is that we actually use our bodies. Our body is that instrument, okay? And we're going to use our bodies, and there's references to stuff like that. First of all, it talks about a variety of instruments. There's string instruments, there's wind instruments, there's percussion instruments. The Bible refers to the fact that cymbals and cymbals should be played loudly. God says, I like that. I like the sound of these things. It says that, it should be a loud noise. Why would God like it loud? Maybe, maybe he just wants to know that we mean it. Maybe he just wants everybody to hear. Maybe he wants his, his praise to be proclaimed so loudly that people hear it and they know and we're not ashamed and we love him. And it's just like, 
Praise God through whom all blessing. I'm not, listen, there's a time to be quiet with God, but I mean, God says, make it known. Let everybody know. And variety of ways and variety of instrumentation and variety. But he says, I want to hear about it. He says, when you sing, sing out loud. Well, I don't have a good voice. Well, that's why he says joyful noise. <laughs> sing out loud. Don't keep it to yourself, man. How could you bottle that up inside of you? Sing out loud. He wants you to do it. He said, sing publicly. Sing among all the nations. Sing in the congregation of the saints. Sing in front of everybody. Make it known. I'm not ashamed. I'm here for you. I love it. He says in Psalm 33, sing unto me a new song. You know, I looked and looked and looked and did not see sing unto me an old song. I'm just telling you, the word that we use for new and songs in today's vocabulary is contemporary. And God says, sing unto me a new song. The whole idea is this, guys. God continues to inspire us. And the joy that we feel in our hearts and our lives as we experience God causes people, those who have that skill, to write new songs New expressions, fresh, vibrant, contemporary, new. Is there anything wrong with old songs? Nothing at all wrong with old songs. The whole idea is he loves new songs. It means that you are connected with me. You are allowing me to speak through you. You are returning it to me. I love it, God says. And I know we don't really like this, but it says in the dance. The whole point is this, guys, really. You use your body, not your flesh. That's a different theological subject. You use your body to bring praise to God. Number two, you engage your soul. You engage your soul. It says sing unto him with your whole heart. There's an emotional connection that's being taken care of. It is a joyful noise. You're happy. How could you possibly be mad and worship? It's impossible. It's impossible. You could be doing a lot of things. Worship is not on the list. God says that it's good. It is comely is the word he uses. It means it's attractive to God for us to do this. So we use our bodies, we engage our souls, and we connect our spirits. And we've talked enough about that already. We connect spiritually. That's what worship is. It's a spiritual connection with God. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that God himself, the one to whom is due all honor and glory and praise, the one whom we've spoke of in all these ways of his greatness, if you knew that he enjoyed some musical style, that he enjoyed some song of rejoicing, and maybe you yourself personally with your cultural background don't prefer it, but you know God likes it. Do you think you could get yourself around liking it too if you really knew God liked it? You think you could possibly do that? Because I think true worshipers can. I think true worshipers can do that. Have you ever just thought about heaven? Of course you have. Have you ever just thought about what a party it's going to be when we all finally get there. 
Have you ever just in your mind's eye just considered all the saints of history together around the throne? I don't know that I know what it's going to look like, but in my mind, I have my idea. What is your idea? Can you, whatever your idea of that is, truly, honestly, before God, can you envision yourself practicing that now? Because that's what I want us to do. That's why we started off teaching. Now we're going to practice. So the band's going to come up in a second, and I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would take this word, and I pray that